podcast, uh, Let's Get a Startup Podcast. I'm Julian. And I'm Chris Ye. And Chris, our topic today is one that I've been thinking a lot about, which is lying. Um, and I guess part of the reason why it's something I've thought about is there, like in the in the kind of like zeitgeist, there's this sense that entrepreneurs lie all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are also examples that I, I think I can point to of entrepreneurs, at least somewhat lying. Um, so, so one that, that uh, at least the reputation that the CEO of uh, Salesforce, Mark Benioff, at least in the past was famous for, you know, lying about the features that are available. It'd be like, yeah, this feature would be available in two months to sign this, you know, $10 million contract and then the feature would never be available. Um, so I, so that's my impression of what is at least done by some people or perceived to be something that a lot of people do. And on, on the other hand, my, you know, my, my strong belief is that you just should not lie. Uh, and, uh, you know, my, my, my experience has been that when you do lie, it, it really does, you know, undermine you, um, you know, many ways that people don't, don't, don't realize. Um, so, so I guess my assumption is I like, there's like my understanding of what people mean by lying is incomplete or imprecise, or maybe I'm right and other people are doing things wrong, but what's your, uh, your, 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 your initial reaction? Well, first, I do want to say something for the listeners, which is anyone who is about to complain that Julian is using earbuds and the sound quality isn't quite as high has to understand that we've been trying a variety of different, uh, a whole variety of different options to try to eliminate this bizarre interference we've been getting on the recordings. And this is actually the best option we have. So please, no one blame Julian in this case, because we've been experimenting and this is the best thing we can do for today. Yeah, it has been my fault in the past, but I think here it's the software's fault. Or it does seem to be the case. So, and I, I've been uh, too sick to uh, to properly troubleshoot it. So, and that in itself is, in a very meta way, a commentary on telling the truth, because there are a variety of forms of lie that you have to be concerned about, and. I think that where you stand on the continuum and where you end up going is to some extent largely up to you, but I will give you my personal belief about where it's best to be on the continuum. So Julian, when you first talked about lying, you talked about something that is you know, classic Silicon Valley mantra, which sounds better than lying, but basically says you should lie, which is fake it till you make it. And the reason why fake it till you make it is a Silicon Valley mantra is because it has been very successful for a number of folks. You mentioned Mark Benioff at Salesforce. Listen, Mark Benioff learned it from the master himself, Larry Ellison, the founder and chairman of Oracle, one of the richest men in the world, owns a private island in Hawaii. And Larry Ellison was famous for this, right? When other people might exaggerate, Larry would flat out lie to get the deal. 
and then count on being able to deliver before the lawsuit came through. And it worked for him. Oracle dominated the database world because of Larry's extreme hardball tactics. And he, again, has a private island, like literally an entire island of Hawaii that he owns himself and that only his invited guests can go to it. So he was wildly successful as a result. And so people look at this and say, wow, fake it till you make it. Isn't that a great idea? Well, yes and no. Fake it till you make it is something where in the end, if you make it, you may be okay, but you don't always make it, or at least not in time. Because one of Larry Ellison's most famous protégés was Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. And she learned fake it till you make it from Larry Ellison. And she is currently sitting in prison as a result of following Larry's advice. So clearly, fake it till you make it, lie, say whatever it takes, is not something that always works. Right? This is the same lesson that people sometimes draw from somebody like Donald Trump. It's like, oh, the truth doesn't matter. I'm like, well... Sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes you get away with it. But I don't think that that's true in the long run. I think that if you go throughout history and look at the number of politicians who've been undone by various lying scandals, that's a lot higher than the number of politicians who succeeded by lying blatantly and getting away with it. It doesn't mean that liars don't get away with it. Sometimes they do. But if you're playing the numbers, it might not be the best one. But that blatant kind of lying, fake it till you make it, is only one point on the spectrum. I would say that there are, it's not even a single spectrum, right? It may be several dimensions. The thing that we could have done on this broadcast is another form of lying, which is lying by omission. So, for example, if I wanted the blame for the sound quality to fall on you, Julian, for some sort of perfidious purpose, I could have just kept quiet. I could have just let them believe Oh, Julian doesn't care about sound quality. He's using those earbuds. Gosh, I wish Chrissier would speak up and say something, but he's too nice. But that's not what I did, right? I said, hmm, there is something that I think is material and relevant. And I feel like not saying something about it would not be deceptive per se, but would leave people with the wrong impression. And that's a nuance, but it's an important one. I think that there are a lot of times when, you know, you may choose to not say everything that's going on. Entrepreneurs. Respond. I'm one payroll away from being bankrupt. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I absolutely have to have this deal or I'm toast. Because then the investor will say, ah, well, <laughs> this is an excellent opportunity to negotiate then. So I feel like there are definite circumstances under which omission makes sense. But it basically makes sense if there is an adversarial position, right? Or uh, at least a semi-adversarial position where in the case of an investor and an entrepreneur, during the negotiation over price, that is inherently adversarial. And when you're in an adversarial position, then omission is not necessarily immoral, in my opinion. It is simply playing the hand that you've been dealt as best you can. Now, again, there are limitations to it. It fits a bit into the fake it till you make it category. So the fact that I was about to run out of money becomes irrelevant once I get your money. That's fine. But if 
I'm about to run out of money and getting your money won't help. It just means I'm going to throw good money after bad and you're going to immediately lose your investment. That is wrong, right? If you're an entrepreneur and the money won't actually help, you have a responsibility not to take it. Or if you take it to give it back, once it becomes apparent, you're not going to have enough money, right? That is the difference. And so if it, and if you're in a conversation with someone and lying by omission is going to actively harm them, I would say that it's incorrect. So now this is great. We're getting a meta point here. A meta point here is regardless of the nature of the lie, even the so-called white lies, if the lies lead to harm to the other party, then you should not tell them because then all you're doing is it's not a question of lying or not. It's a question of harming or not. And harming someone else is inherently an evil thing to do. So I've got a bunch of other gradations, but I've been talking a lot, Julian. Do you want to get in on this? Well, so there's a a couple of examples. Um, and, and, you know, I'm trying to not use people that I actually know, um, but uh, people are finally famous uh, for this. So, so Henry Kissinger recently died. So um, that's probably a safe one. So mm -hmm. he's he's famous you know i worked in politics in a first career uh, and there was kind of like the henry kissinger approach to organizing events right and the henry kissinger approach to organizing an event or a lunch or whatever uh, is what he'd do is he let's say if i wanted to meet you and i wanted to meet um uh let's say bill gates and you and Bill Gates didn't know each other. And I would reach out to Bill Gates and say, hey, Bill Gates, this is there's this amazing guy, Chris E.A. You probably know of him and he, maybe you don't know him yet, but you'd like to meet him. I'm having lunch with him. Do you want to join us? And then I kind of say the same thing to you. And then both, of, but, but, you know, it'd be untrue, right? Like I, I'm kind of playing everybody off each other and then you know, in half of situations, it kind of materializes and the other half of the situation, you know, it doesn't work. And then you're just like, oh, in the end, it didn't work. Sorry. And then you kind of like move on um, and, you know, no, no, no harm done. Uh, so I don't know when I'm thinking of this example and I'm thinking, trying to correlate it to what you are saying. Yeah. I think part of what's like, I do feel that that approach is fine and, and the reason i think why that approach is fine is that you're almost 100 percent sure that no one there's not going to be any harm done to anybody correct yeah no i, I would agree with that i would uh, that assessment and i'm reminded of something famous that happened on sand hill road so there's a fellow named Jameis McNiven who ran Bucks of Woodside. I believe Jameis is now retired. He's an old friend. I haven't seen him in a while, though, so I should go look him up and, and see how. The Sand Hill Road Derby, where the various venture capital firms and schools and other folks like that would basically create these carts that they would race down Sand Hill Road. And it was kind of a fundraiser, raise money for a good cause, everyone have a good time, everything like that. And the way he got it started is Jameis called up the guy, I think it was Don Valentine from Sequoia, 
and said, Hey, Don, Keith and the guys from NEA are in. Are you in too? Are you, you know, you want to prove that you're better than them? It's like, Hell yeah. And they called up Keith from, from NEA. It's like, Hey, Don over at Sequoia is totally into winning this thing. He thinks he's going to beat your pants off. Oh, screw that. We're going to go, we're going to, we're going to take him to town. And so that's how he got everyone into it. But again, there was no harm. It's not like he was asking them to put millions of dollars into soon to be worthless cryptocurrency or something like that. He was getting them for a charity event. And it's something that he knew they would all enjoy if they in fact committed. And maybe that's the second part. It's not only the next step up from do no harm is if you believe everyone's going to be better off as a result of it, that makes it even better. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, you know, part of harm, which is, you know, harming yourself. And uh, what I, so there's this talk by Travis Kalanick which I may have mentioned to you in the past. It's a really old talk from like way before he was at Uber. And he's, it's, people can find it on YouTube. Um, he, Travis Kalanick hasn't done that many old talks. And um, it's a long, you know, one hour speech and he talks about a bunch of things. But one of them is he, he talks about fake it till you make it. And he says that you should do that. And his reason is exactly it tracks exactly with my experience which is i just exhaust you um and, and there's something about you know saying things that are untrue which just make you the person saying them just tired and yes. like just like having to live a lie i'm not sure what it is even even oh i have a good explanation for it. matter yeah i have a simple explanation for it so there are two things that are going on that are consuming your executive function, consuming the glucose in your brain. The first is that because you are lying, your body knows, hey, this is something that is risky. And so you are on high alert. And so that means that there is cortisol going on, causing inflammation. It's as if you were undertaking some sort of risky endeavor. And everyone knows people who are bomb diffusers don't go home at the end of the day and say, wow, that was so relaxing. And their nerves are shot and frayed as a result of that. So when you lie, you're essentially saying, okay, let me just go ahead and try to defuse these bombs all day long. The second thing is in order to remember the details of the lie, you have to hold them in working memory. And holding things in working memory also consumes glucose. Uh, I was just reminded of this because you know one of the funny things is that uh, when you are undernourished, like let's say children are, are poor, they're undernourished, their cognitive function is impaired because it costs energy to hold things in working memory and to use that for doing math and, and learning and all that. And so as a result, when a child is undernourished, the body says, listen, we got to preserve life. First and foremost, geometry has got to wait. And when there's a shortage, the body does what it has to do. Now, when you lie, you're deliberately creating a shortage. You're deliberately consuming more energy and you're going to feel more tired, even if you're not malnourished. Yeah, and I think part of it, so it's kind of like, would the person you are lying to be upset if they found out that you were lying to them? And if they wouldn't be upset, then you're not, it's not risky and it's not exhausting. If they would be upset, then it's just going to exhaust you. So for example, right. if I, um, 
you know, I don't know, like when we were starting our podcast, we would reach out to people and say like, hey, uh, do you want to be a guest on this podcast? And we'd list the people who were uh, confirmed guests. And, you know, they're semi-confirmed guests. You know, one of right. the people that, that we had as a confirmed guest was David Kenny, who did end up becoming a guest like a year later. Uh, like he said he'd do it. And then he's kind of like, ah. And then the other person that said they do is Arthur Sadoon. Um, who's the CEO of Publicis, who it didn't really blow me off. I, I like I followed up with him. It still didn't make sense, and we didn't make it happen because I, I didn't want to bother him about it. Uh, yeah. While with David Kenny, it did, right? So, you know, when I said Arthur and David, who are Fortune 500 CEOs, uh, are going to be on this uh, uh, this podcast, I mean, it wasn't really true, but. Let's say if somebody found out that it wasn't true, they wouldn't care. They're not going to be like, oh, this Julian guy, like he lied to me about Arthur Sadoon and David Kenny. Um, like they're just not going to care. And I'm not going to be like exhausted from having to worry about the fact that they might feel that I'm dishonest. Like, is that, is that, is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, I think so. But I think it's also going to fall into the category of this next nuance which is what would the party being quote unquote lied about say? And if somebody had called up David or Arthur and said, Hey, I'm thinking about going on this blitz scaling a startup podcast. And Julian says, you guys are going to be guests on the podcast. They say, yeah, absolutely. Cause right. it was their intention to be guests. It just didn't happen to occur. But if instead they're like Julian, who that would be very bad. And I'll give you an example of this. A number of years ago, and then the names will be withheld to protect uh, the entrepreneur in question. There was an entrepreneur I was introduced to by a mutual friend, very bright young man. And he asked me for help with his startup. And I gave him some great advice, I think, in terms of how to position the startup and get people excited about it. And then the time came when he wanted me to potentially invest. And I said, well, David, you know, uh, this means I have to ask a series of questions now, because before I was helping you as a friend, giving you the best advice I could. Now I have to put on my investor hat and deeply investigate. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah no, no problem. And so I said, OK, great. Uh, here's what I need. So you mentioned these people are you mentioned that you're bringing people into the rounds. Can you give me a couple of names of investors? And you also mentioned these customers. Can you give me the names of the customers? And what he did is he told me that uh, one of the people who was investing was Don Hutchinson. I'm like, ah, oh, Don, I know Don. Sure. No problem. And then he said, you know, we're selling the product to Stanford and Berkeley. And I'm like, okay, great. Give me those names. And then I called up Don and I said, Hey Don, it's Chris. He's like, Oh yeah. What's up? He's like, Hey, I hear you're in this deal. And Don says, funny. I heard the same thing about you. I'm like, Oh, okay. Again, not, necessarily hugely damaging but already this is a warning sign right if don had said yeah i'm looking at it and uh, i heard that you were looking at the deal that's fine if he said oh i heard you're in the deal that's a different story right now it's gone over the line and then i called up stanford and berkeley and they're like oh yeah we know him we know david david's great uh we're never going to be customers oh yeah you know stanford's like hey you know we're pretty big we do our own thing uh, okay I went back to the entrepreneur and I said, I think you're headed down a wrong path because, you know, I did some like very basic checking of references 
and your investor is not an investor and your customers are not customers. And he's like, but these big name firms are investing in me. They've already committed. I'm like, well, they may do that, but I won't. And I would just advise you to consider that this is a bad path. You are telling lies that are easily found out by anyone who spends 20 minutes on them. And it may be that there are enough careless investors to allow you to finish the round. But I don't think that those are the investors that are really paying close attention to your business. Anyways, he did end up finishing the round with money from a bunch of big name investors. some more advice at that point in time. And later he came back to me and said for advice. And then even after that, he introduced me to another company that went on to become very successful, though I didn't invest. And he introduced them saying, listen, when I was an entrepreneur, Chris was one of the only people who told me some hard truths I needed to hear. And he told them to me, even though I wasn't grateful for them at the time, I am now. And, you know, He's someone whose judgment I trust. So that's an example of that sort of lying being a big negative. But it didn't mean that it was necessarily the end of the relationship because he was a young entrepreneur and young entrepreneurs read these things, fake it till you make it and, and whatnot. And, you know, he got burned and he learned from it. And therefore, we were still able to have a relationship. But that's why the fake it till you make it on things that are easily confirmed or disconfirmed is such a bad idea. Yeah, it's a so it's a strange thing, right? Because so so I, I had so my, my last business, as you know, Chris, was a kind of enterprise SaaS business. So that meant mm -hmm. we would sell to large companies, and those large companies have ridiculous requirements uh, from you know an information security uh, point of view, and especially you know in your first year as a business, like. Yeah. So it's, it's impossible to keep up, right? So it's like, you need this policy and this policy right. and this policy. And often you can, so for most of the stuff, like you can just have a conversation with yeah. the person, say, hey, we've only been around for a year. We don't have all these things, but are there any, but we are working on them. And are there any of them that would be really a priority that we should work on so as to get this one deal done or whatever, right? So the, right. the things like that, that is, where you, you try to not lie right right and and then there are things where it's like you need to have a policy for this and you know the way that i would do that i'd never lie about the fact that we had the policy i would no you would create the policy, policy and then you'd be truthful correct so my policy was like a half page and i would just yeah. like email it to everybody on the team saying like this is our policy attached and it would just be a half page with like some common sense things everybody already knew. And then, well, that was our policy. And, you know, like, was that really a policy? I mean, it was no. the fact that you yeah. sent it made it a policy. Look, this is something that fits into the category of where you stand on that spectrum. Again, I've responded to many an enterprise from a large company in my time because I've been a long-standing for many years VP of marketing at various companies which meant that I had to deal with some of the largest companies in the world as customers and these customers send you these gigantic RFPs that are like 40 or 50 pages long with all these super detailed questions and 
I think that, you know, what you mentioned is absolutely okay, which is they ask if you have a policy, you implement the policy, and then your answer is yes. No problem. Now, the trickier one is when they ask for something you can't just implement like that. And that's where one of the things I would do in responding to these RFPs is, I think, classic politician tactic, which, you know, some people may find questionable, but I think is okay in these circumstances. And I'll explain why, which is to answer the question that you can answer, even if it doesn't specifically address what you know to be the true intent of the question. And that is because these RFPs are largely a question of check the box. The individual elements of the RFP are not of equal importance. This is just something that they have to do to go through to get their policies to work. And so what I do is I provide an answer and that answer is truthful. And that answer may not be the answer to the question that they asked, but if they accept it, then I'm like, okay, you accepted it, that's fine, right? I'm not willing to lie, but I am willing to answer a different question or to be as persuasive as possible in order for people to, to use spin, if you will, as the political term would go. Because again, it's largely a check the box exercise. Yeah, and I'm thinking, I, I like thinking back to what you were saying about like the harm component. Where, so let's say dedicated, we we did sales tech. So, like, it's not we didn't deal with very sensitive data, right? Mm -hmm. And the only thing that businesses could actually be very concerned about is that the way that Salesforce's API or integration worked is that you had to give re and write access. You couldn't give only write access. We only needed write access, but we needed to get read, read and access. write access. Yeah, just because that's how Salesforce was yeah. structured. It wasn't possible to do other. We never used, like actually on our end, we could not uh, read. Like our system was not like, I guess, Technically, we could have built our side and be able to pull the data, but we couldn't, right? Like, Got it. We, we didn't and we wouldn't. And All no you needed was write access to be able to add the leads. You didn't Correct. need to read access, but you had to get the read access anyways, because that's how it was well, structured. They had to give it to us yeah. and we didn't We didn't have the technical ability to, take, to, to use it, right? So, so it was actually pretty low. Like a lot of the, the boxes we need to check mm -hmm. actually were not necessary because... Yeah because of this right and so even if we were stretching the truth a little bit it's like look uh in the end it's not actually ever going to create any problems for well, you because well, you're let me give you an example so let's say there was a question which is uh do you take step do you take steps to protect the personally identifiable information of your customers using the following X, Y, and Z techniques. And you don't have personally identifiable information. So you're like, your answer would be, um, there is no danger, like you could write it as a response, there is no danger of personally identifiable, identifiable information being leaked and all necessary security measures have been taken. Which is to say zero security measures because you don't have the information. But you can write something like that, that is all technically true, even though it is not specifically addressing the question. That would be an example. And that would be sufficiently honest. While I'm going to take an example of another business uh, that I know of well, where 
they're essentially a database where the whole point of the database was to be GDPR compliant and mm -hmm. it was a whole compliance database product. That was the entire thing that was their, their offering. And they didn't have any of the compliance. They're just, <laughs> just a, a flat out lying. Yeah. And, and, um, and what would happen, I actually, I don't know what would actually happen, but presumably the reason why businesses were engaging with them or buying their product and paying a premium for it instead of just putting data on some AWS server is that it actually mattered to the business in some manner whether the data was stored in a compliant manner or not. Either that right. meant that there were their actual risks or there were, you know, they could get sued or whatever. So, so if you're that business and your entire product is to help people be compliant and then you stretch the truth while you're exposing them to potential harm, well, Correct. for me, I'm not. That's right. I mean, again, we, it comes back to over and over again is that the, the harm test seems like it covers a whole variety of circumstances, right? And this gets to the fact that, you know, when it comes to telling the truth, a big portion of telling the truth is, you know, what are the results of telling the truth or not telling the truth? And the interesting question then becomes, are there times when you specifically do not tell the truth in order to provide in order to prevent harm of some kind and you know i think that this falls more into the category of the so-called white lie like if somebody asks and it won't make a difference oh what does so and so think of me or what is their true opinion of me and if you know the answer is they think you're a fucking clown and you probably don't want to say that you probably want to say mm, you know i don't think they're that positive on you Right. I think that there's ways to spin it and nuance it in order to minimize the harm done while still conveying to people. You don't want to tell the person, no, they love you. Well, that's a problem because then they'll go to that person and that will be an issue. You need to convey the actual valence, but necessarily the magnitude. And you don't have to use the specific language. Yeah, that's a segue into something else I want to talk about, which is like, when should you lie? Right. So, so let's say, um, I'm going to go into the United States, uh, you know, in a few months mm -hmm. and I'm going to go through customs, mm -hmm. uh, and, or immigration, and they're going to ask me questions. And there's a way that I could answer their questions that would make it so that they don't let me into the country. And there's a way I could answer those questions where they will let me into the country. Right. Right. And definitely in that case. I should answer the questions that like, I should say like, Hey, I'm prospecting and doing business meetings to potentially in the future, open a business somewhere that might do business in the United States. And I'm meeting mm -hmm. investors and lawyers. That's what I have to say. Yeah. Uh, or, but, but I could, and that's true. And, and, but you know, it's kind of not true. Cause I'm actually more on it. Like if I was being really honest, I would say I'm coming here to start a new business. And then they'd be like, okay, you're not coming into the country, right? So that's a situation where like, I could be maximally truthful, but that probably wouldn't be advisable to kind of mm -hmm. like only care about being, you know, you know, telling the truth, the whole truth. Um, and so, so what would be the framework you'd use to know like, hey, this is too truthful. 
this is so this is um this is an excellent one because it allows us to touch on something that was i learned from our patron saint reed hoffman mm -hmm. and we're talking about paypal and reed of course was a founding board member of paypal and then executive vice president which basically meant that he was the chief troubleshooter for all the things that came up and that involved dealing with regulators as well which was a thorny issue and the approach that reed took towards these things is he said look we are okay with things where we are technically in violation of a regulation of some kind if the regulation is foolish and we are going to get that regulation changed and doing so will benefit the consumer overall it's basically the harm principle at work and in your case if you are talking with the folks at immigration the policy the united states has is a dumb policy it harms the country and since you have the ability to answer it in a way that is truthful that is also going to get you into the country and benefit you and the country then you should do it it's as simple as that yeah so it's like essentially you want to be maximally truthful while also maximizing the goodness created for the other person uh and also for yourself yes uh and and there's there's definitely a balance like there's a pull between these different things but you definitely you don't want to be like totally lying you don't want to be totally hurting other people and you don't want to be totally hurting yourself right. and you want to find kind of where these in inter intersect uh you know a lot yeah. And by the way, you know, this also reveals an interesting nuance, which is, is the person asking on their own behalf or are they asking as a result of some sort of policy or rule? Because when somebody asks you a direct question themselves for their for their own purposes, it's a little different than, you know, some government functionary asking something that's been written to a code book somewhere. And I think that it is the case that if somebody is directly asking, it's a little harder to evade versus someone who's really not going to probe that hard. And so that's a, a practical question, which is how hard are people going to probe into the story? And that determines, you know, just how detailed you need to be, because the harder someone's going to probe, the more difficult it's going to be. Like if you have a U.S. attorney probing you, like a Southern District of New York, and they're, you're in a court of law and <laughs> you're under oath, guess what? You better tell the truth. Yeah. And you better make sure that everything you say is 100% true. Uh, but under other circumstances, if you're at the customs area and there's a board customs official who is asking questions in a monotone, then the imperative is much less. You still should be truthful, but you have a little more wiggle room. So maybe a, a good final point is you know, when should you tell the truth, which is kind of sounds like the same thing, but but isn't the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, and here's an example. Um, so let's say I am interviewing a candidate to hire them. Mm -hmm. And I do a whole process to get to know that person, right? And, and I'll do, like, I'll, I'll interview them, I'll, I'll do references, and I'll learn about them, right? When I'm doing that, I'm, you know, looking to, like to figure out if they're a fit, they're, they're the right person, this is the right context for them to be working, right? And I might learn something about them where I figure out actually I don't want to work with them, right? So 
so something that that often comes up because it's hard to suss out uh, early on is people are good at team, right? So people are like really good at, at, at like seeing the best in other people and then just like channeling these other people through themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy, who we worked with, is is really amazing at that. And most, very often when you, I, I try to hire people, like that's the reason why I end up not hiring them because I figure I, I think they're not good enough at team because few people are good at that and it's hard to figure it out. All right, so this happens to me all the time. It's like, hey, look, this person's super smart, super driven. They check all the boxes, but they just like, they haven't learned the hard life lessons that, that make them a really good team player. Mm-hmm. And that's just not a fit for me. This might be a fit for others. Right. Now, I would like my, my policy, and, and maybe it's wrong, you can tell me, is I just blanket give people in that context no feedback. Like I will not tell them why I'm not hiring them. And the reason is that I actually don't think my opinion is valid because I haven't worked with them. Like maybe they are amazing team players and I, 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 I might just be wrong, right? To believe this and, and my, my level of certainty is low because I have never worked with them. Uh, so, so just as a blanket rule, I never give anybody any feedback on anything that I learned during the evaluation process um if i hired them they worked for me for several for at least a few months then i'd be happy to do that so so right the the counter argument would be like well maybe this is really useful information for them like maybe no one's told them it's important to be a really good team player right so 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 i don't know like when should you be telling the truth and when should you just essentially be quiet um and, and, and how would you think about that so this is one where the cost of telling the truth is relatively low if you circumscribe the conversation and in which case you might derive benefit by you know building your reputation with this person who may come around and, and work with you again sometime in the future so the way to have that conversation is to say look i'm not going to hire you that is a given and nothing in this conversation is going to change that but because i want to be helpful I'm going to give you the following feedback. I believe you know one of the reasons why I didn't hire you, the primary reason why I didn't hire you is I was concerned about your ability to work on a team. And these were the three things that caused me to have that concern. Now, I know you're going to want to tell me why those things are not a concern. Sorry, I don't have time to listen to them. This is not a conversation that's reopening this. But I wanted to pass that along. And I hope that that information is helpful to you in the future. Right. And then there, so let's say a lot of the data that I would have gathered would be from references, right? So oh, like, then you can't, then you can't say then that. You can't say that. You can't so say you'd that. leave that out. You'd leave that out. Those references have trusted you and therefore you can't sort of say what they said because this person knows who the references are for the most part. They may have provided them and that would be a betrayal of that relationship. So it has to be the things you've directly observed. Yeah. So what you so, so what your recommendation would be would be to because like I do think that giving people honest feedback and letting them improve over time yeah uh, is actually in my interest my Absolutely. personal interest right Absolutely but you have to circumscribe it because again 
what most people take it as is an opportunity to relitigate. And that's what you right. don't want to have happen. You want to emphasize, I'm not going to change my mind. We're not going to reopen this. We're not going to relitigate this. This is just feedback. And then like one of the, like, like the other thing is, the, the other factor is that my level of certainty, right? It's like, hey, I, I did like five reference checks yeah. that you gave me. I reached out to three other people proactively myself. I've interacted with you. Various people on the team have interacted with you. And we gathered this data. But I haven't worked with you for five years. So I yeah. don't actually know. And And you can also frame that. You can say, look, it may be that my evaluation is wrong because I haven't worked with you for five years. But the fact is that I can only make the decision based on the information I have. And my bias is towards not hiring because I really want to make sure that I hire people. And even then I'll probably make mistakes. This may be one of those mistakes, but that's my decision. Yeah. So it does sound like in both situations about like, you know, the, the kind of telling the truth and the, um, you know, avoiding the lying. What you're trying to do is create as much goodness for other people as possible. And for yourself, well, right? This is classic utilitarianism, the greatest good for the greatest number, with perhaps a little bias towards yourself. Right. And once you start, like, so, so and it's actually quite a lot of work to, like, think about that and figure it out and be like, yeah. hey, like, you know, and it is worth that work. Like being an honest person means trying to speak in a way that creates as much goodness as possible. Right. Um, and then, and you're trying to create goodness for others, trying to, for the other people that you're interacting with, for society in general, for yourself. Um, and, um, right. And then maybe one of like the measures of, whether you're being successful is because it's hard to know right it's not like this this crystal like people always say like you need to tell the truth and it's like yeah that's that's seems easy and obvious but it's actually not that clear cut um so, so the a possible measure would be how you feel about this like if you feel exhausted if you feel nervous that you probably mean that you're not um that, that you're you're being a little bit too dishonest well it is also an indication of how much it costs you to maintain that stance and i can tell you that my general position is not to take stances that cost me a lot of energy to maintain i've got enough to worry about in my life and so that's one of the reasons why truthfulness in general is just a good policy it reduces the amount of effort and energy that's required in addition to being a pretty good proxy for the utilitarian principle so final thing like there are i assume there are situations where just outright lying would be actually prescribed so so it's like like a, a like, like i'm trying I, I can't think of any lying examples but hey let, let's say well no it's um, a very simple it's a very simple one someone comes to you in confidence and tells you something and then another person says so and so said this about me didn't they I'm like mm, yeah no yeah, Keep it simple. Like, Just say no. Right. Or or let's say you had to lie somehow to like save your kids from getting murdered or something right. like that. Right. Like obviously you'd want to be fine to lie. So there 
but like, so what is it about those situations that make it, it's like, hey, all the other rules well, about lying go out. Well, obviously we're looking at the utilitarian principle again. And we're saying that speaking the truth in this case would cause great harm and speaking a lie would cause much less harm. Therefore, we should take the path that causes less harm. The fortunate thing is that there are very few circumstances under which that's true, right? In truth is generally the best policy, but truth is not always the best policy. And again, one of the different things I want the listeners to keep in mind is that you have to be intellectually honest with yourself. It's very easy for somebody who has listened to this conversation, who is a sociopath to then self-justify all their actions because they're like, oh yeah, no, from a harm perspective, this is not really big harm. This is better for me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You have to actually look at this in a fairly objective way. Even if others might disagree with you, you have to try to do it in an objective way that does not reflect all the biases that you have. Yeah, and you also want, you know, when in doubt to be overly honest. Um, uh, and, you know, if you're not sure that you're being overly honest, uh, you, you probably are not, and you probably should be more honest. Uh, like, it's just so easy to get pulled into that. Um, Yes, and, and there's, there's, there's a principle behind this as well, and that will be our, our final point, which is that the reason why you should have a bias towards truth is because consequences are sometimes difficult to know. Whether the harm that you think is going to come to pass will actually come to pass, whether the mechanisms at work are actually the mechanisms that you think, there is some level of uncertainty there. However, there is zero certainty, uncertainty around whether or not you're telling the truth. And therefore, you have a bias towards telling the truth because you know for a fact that you are. Chris, happy Friday, happy weekend. Everyone who's listening, thank you for spending this hour uh, or 45 minutes with us. Uh, obviously, you have lots of other things you could be doing, also the podcast you'd be listening to. So we love that you uh, give us your, your time. So. Thank um, you as always, Julian. It's a, it's a pleasure. And that is the truth. Bye.